Welcome to Art Worlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts Comoretti. This is the podcast that tells you all about the art worlds you might have missed. We're going to journey around the globe and talk to artists, patrons and curators from Cambodia to the Democratic Republic of Congo. With this, we'll build a truly international perspective of the many thriving art worlds. India, a country teeming with people, home to part of the Himalayas, deserts, the Ganges and hundreds of languages, is an astoundingly diverse and dynamic part of the world. It's got an artistic heritage to match, with traditions of miniature art, intricate stone sculptures, Vali painting, and then a radical modernism that followed the country's independence in 1947. After economic liberalisation in the early 90s, contemporary art and its market began to boom. Today, across India, commercial galleries and foundations are the backbone of a system buoyed by private philanthropy and sheer enthusiasm for the arts. Nikhil Chopra is a beguiling artist and something of a pioneer in the Indian art world. His practice ranges between live art, theatre, painting, photography, sculpture and installation. He's particularly well known for his playful and mischievous performances in which he becomes the character Jog Raj Chitrakar, an upright gentleman who slowly unravels, often fervently drawing, sometimes using lipstick, and in the process makes us aware of India's buried histories. Nikhil has worked across the world, including at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Kettle's Yard, Performer, the 53rd Venice Biennale, Sharjah Biennale and Documenta 14. He also runs Heritage Hotel Art Spaces, a very special organisation that's India's only residency for performance art that was first housed in an old Portuguese hotel in Goa. We spoke from his studio here. You're an accomplished performance artist and revered across the world. Thinking about performance historically, in India, it was braided with protest and politics. Where did your interest in using the body begin? Um, In the United States, my interest really um, in understanding the extent of my practice all came together in graduate school when I was getting my master's at Ohio State University. At the time, I had these two very distinctly uh, different practices. I didn't really, the theater wasn't really something that fed me a lot in in my imagination, but art did, and that's the education I pursued. But the theater, in a sense, was still this sort of lingering ghost that I carried with me. It wasn't until coming to graduate school and really kind of understanding how the body has worked through art history and artistic practices, especially in the 20th century. That really was a very interesting me to kind of uh, bring together these two quite different aspects of my practice. One as a painter and an image maker and the other one as a kind of actor. And so I found that language really came together uh, for my master's thesis exhibition. And it wasn't until I returned back to India and was really able to use this material as a professional in in, in the context of exhibition 
that I that I was really able to crystallize this this language with using drawing within the live space, um, and and I've kind of uh, written on that language or always wanted to expand on that language ever since. And. Do you remember your first performance in India and the oh reception? I remember every single performance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's always that first one that really um, is the epiphany. And it really felt that I had uh, channelized an energy or a, or a force that was way beyond even my comprehension. Uh, my the first performance happened, of course, in university in graduate school when we were all really wanting to be as punk and experimental as we possibly could. The only way I could justify that was sort of doing something like that outside of the academy. So a bunch of grad students collected together and organized what we called the apartment shows. So everybody had the opportunity to convert their apartment into an exhibition. And I thought that would be interesting to try something in the form of a tableau vivant style performance where at the time I was looking at a lot of images of um, Indian royalty uh, from the turn of the century and black and white photographs. And I was kind of fascinated of how puppet-like they were and how in between king and subject they were. So I invented this fake persona called Sir Raja and literally with best, like pasting together, you know, saris and fabrics put together this extremely odd and cliche image of what an Indian king would look like in a, in a Midwestern Victorian style apartment. So in the basement of that apartment. So it, it, as soon as the first person walked in, I kind of really kind of felt that. I was really walking the line between sculpture and theater and photography and installation. And, you know, all of those things were happening in my head as it was happening. So, and, I, and I'd given myself actions to do and I abandoned all actions because I just felt so present in my stillness. I just didn't move for, for, two, for an hour or something. And, and, and I knew, and, and, and the, 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 the conversations that came out of that apartment show, uh, because I went to the next apartment, um, were incredible because the, the, the faculty was really starting to talk to me about how much this, this, this was within the language of live art and performance. So, uh, you know, and, and that's when I started to develop that as and sort of dug, dug deeper. The Raj character is also part of your prominent creation, Jog Raj Chitraka, who yes. has yes. travelled quite literally across the world. He's walked yes. across Europe from Athens to Carcel for Document yes. 14, turned yes. up at the New Museum in New York. And he's also related to your grandfather, but yes. who... Are, that's just one aspect of him. Who else collides in him or what else? Well, just the, just the very definition of gentleman that has been, I would say, if I think back at it now, is I wouldn't say, I, wouldn't, I, don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to think about it in a way where I was subject, subjected to it. 
But in a way, there was this expectation as a young man to play out that role of the, 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 the sort of westernized gentleman, the, the one that was going to be as global as possible, but also one that was going to aspire to be as white as, white as possible. <laughs> so, you know, in the class war that I grew up in, you know, I was very aware of the fact that I was on the side where the aspiration to be a Saha was so strong that, you know, in a sense, it really kind of shaped us. And a lot of the work that one has done over the past years has been to sort of dismantle that and to understand where to take it into the future, because now I have children. So in, in, in a way, this process has been one of not just um, the image of the gentleman, but the living of it and the, the kind of place where life and art sort of collide. You know, it was very important for my dad to see us sit at a table and know how to eat properly with, properly with a fork and knife and put the napkin on our lap. And, you know, tea time was always at 4 p.m. And everyone had to be very punctual and at the table. So there was this, this need to, to break that and exorcise these uh, ghosts as in order to reconcile with uh, some of that streak. How do you find that he translates across all these different territories? Well, his demeanour, you know, he's, he's expressionless. He's uh, very, uh, especially when he's the he, uh, he's very stoic. He's very uprightly. He's, he has taught meals at the right times. He, he rests, he sleeps, he drinks, he drinks coffee. He, he takes very dignified cigarette breaks. <laughs> he, he, he is what they would call a man of integrity. And that is a very problematic place to be. And that's something that one has to tear apart in a way. And the work is to take that gentleman and sort of rub his face in charcoal and filthy him and turn him into a coal miner, put him on his knees and break him because that's why these performances are long and arduous because the only thing that can take you through it is the spirit and the belief that you will see yourself through this. But there are moments where if one isn't, breaking something then an expectation essentially then then the performance is really just decoration which is something that i'm not really doing so i'm really interested in how yogara chitrakar gets stripped off his masculinity gets stripped off his of his dining table and pulled off from his roast chicken and you know his red wine you know for just a bit and have to deal with the dust of the charcoal. In a sense, these emotions that these characters, in a sense, or these personas represent is the way in which I take people through this map work of, of experiences. Mm. You mentioned the length of your performances, and you had a rather epic stay at the Metropolitan Museum 
nine days and you moved around, you transformed yourself through costumes, through pose, uh, through scenery, and you spread right from the Temple of Dendur to the Sol Lewitt wall drawing. I want to know a bit more about the tension between improvisation and planning and the process of a performance like that in a very, what I would assume is a very strict space. Well, the, the practice of drawing or making drawings is really the tracks on top of which this wild train sits on, you know, that's going at 100 miles an hour. It's the drawing that actually grounds me or the performance. It's also the tension between imagining what image you make and making that image. So as a painter, let's just say, you're a painter, a white canvas, you start and then you are always within that framework. Um, and so the, the drawing allows me and gives me this task that, that gives me a framework to work within. It's a real problem. A white piece of fabric and a piece of charcoal in my hand is a, is a terrifying moment and a moment of absolute faith and trust at the same time. So in that contact, in that touch, there is a lot of submission that happens. It's very clear to me that the charcoal has to make contact with the white canvas. There is no other way out. That's a commitment. But what will happen as that touch happens, that is the journey that a painting always can, will always take you on. Because at the end of the day, what you're left with is that painting and the memory of the performance or the memory of being there at that moment. The, in a way, I like to think about this, and I, I feel like, I've, I've, I, I, feel like I, 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 can, I can chew on this, is that I feel like I'm a, uh, on a journey, like the performances are like, are like a journey, and the, the script of the performance is like the map, you know, with that stop one, like documenta was really clear for me of how I can navigate between a script and improvisation, you know, because those destinations and the dates on which I had to arrive at these places were set in stone, you could say. And everything that happened in between happened in between. And uh, it's the journey, in a sense, that, was, that becomes really the interesting part, the one that you live for, not really the destination, in, in as cliche as that gets. But, you know, so that's, that's how I see this play itself out like a little trekking travel trip with many little stops on the way. And how do photographs and the documentation through photographs of the work, how do you consider those? Well, I have to say I enjoy the photography quite consistently more than the, the moving image. I think the moving image sometimes in long takes can be quite boring but the but the photographs always seem to very quickly in a very in a very kind of frozen moment so also return the the moment back to a two-dimensional image for me is also connecting it back to painting so often i will work with a photographer consistently because 
then we get to develop that language as we go from performance to performance. And that's where Shivani, for example, Shivani has played a, a massive part in, in sort of co-curating, co-creating um, the photographs uh, that have come out of the, these performances. And we've often printed them and hung them like artworks. Um, and, you know, I kind of do treat them uh, as probably the most layered way for me to deal with documentation of performance work. I also really enjoy the dialogue, recording the dialogue context as well. Those are really these, these little interviews and sound bites, remembering performances are also really good documents of, of what happened. Many thanks to Nikhil, whose conversations are always so illuminating. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you wish, do leave a review. There were so many other ideas I wanted to talk to Nikhil about. In the show notes, you'll find links to some great interviews he's given and other places where you can find out more. Join us next time when we meet philanthropist Feroz Gudral, who tells us about lobbying for the arts in India and what she calls the business of benevolence. This has been Art Worlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts-Conredi. See you on the next journey.